0: Greetings, I'm Tricia Kaffer from sunny Key Largo, Florida, your host for New Books in Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. If you have any ideas for books, please send me an email at plantspeoplelove at gmail.com. And today I have a special guest for you. His name is Robert Shroff, and the book is Integrated Management Book, published by Emerald Press in 2018. Hi, Robert. Welcome to the show. Hi,
1: Trisha. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Yes, thank you for being back. Uh, Let's start with my favorite question. Uh, What was your motivation for writing this book?
1: I think I struggled for about 10 years in teaching this topic. and always trying to keep up to date with all the new information that was coming out. There was a ton of information coming from the top consultancies, from the Harvard Business Press, from scholars around the world about what is sustainability. And I wanted to go beyond just defining the topic, but instead create a book that allowed me to operationalize how anyone can do this within a business and provide this information to business students within an MBA program.
0: Yes. And, you know, the reason why I thought this would be great for this show is because the architecture is still about, you know, green and sustainability, et cetera. Uh, can uh, architects use this and landscape architects use this book too?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. I- tried to position this as a book that anyone can use for any enterprise to find new value and differentiate their firm from others. So architects are definitely part of this and they're actually part of complex integrated systems that we need them to be informed about so that we can better enable sustainability within the business environment and then across all other types of economic systems.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I, I thought this would be a really great topic for us for all um, on this ca- category channel Um So let's start with the first question. What what is integrated management and uh, how is it different from just business as usual?
1: Yeah, well, this is where you're going to have to ring me in at some point in time, right? I'm going to probably try to say too much about this, but to try to synthesize this, integrated management is really the process of including environmental, social, and governance, or what is called ESG performance information, in close coordination between business processes, functions, groups, organizations, and systems, which includes then supply chains. In this context, decision makers can be architects, they can be engineers, they can be business managers, they can be working for NGOs. And within an integrated enterprise, what I call intent, as I shorten this within the book, we're able to actually operationalize things like the United Nations 17 um, Sustainable Development Goals to help understand systems in which these companies operate define success based on sustainability principles for this, guide decision-making with strategic valuation of environmental and social guidelines, especially given the time that we've seen in terms of COVID and everything else in terms of protesters around the world, social sustainability is becoming increasingly important. So we get to now look at this and adhere to timelines of action, move enterprises towards a more sustainable society and support processes for planning with decision analysis, tools that we already have. We don't have to look for something new and then fold this into our management techniques to monitor and guide change management within any enterprise.
0: Well, you know, I didn't know that. What is is the, uh, you mentioned uh, the 17 guidelines. Uh, Can you talk about that? What is that?
1: Yeah, the United Nations have 17 sustainable development goals. And those goals range from anywhere from, you know, protecting the environment, which seems paramount to most people in terms of sustainability, all the way through to the 17th goal, which is partnerships. And part of what I do within a top-ranked MBA in sustainability program at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, is live consulting projects with multinational companies, small and medium enterprises, NGOs, and city governments. We've even been asked by a country of Estonia to help them understand environmental, social, and governance performance information, focused on CO2 emissions, since we can normalize things to that measurement. And then figure out how to better manage practices because when we let things like CO2 out into the atmosphere, it really is a pollution and a form of waste that we want to avoid. We can do better by meeting these United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals. And when doing so, align our business in a way that helps solve problems instead of contributing to, sorry, solve yeah, <laughs> problems instead of contributing to those problems by releasing more of this stuff in the first place.
0: Uh Yes, that sounds like uh, what every business should strive for. Uh, why do you, okay, here's a kind of a devil's advocate. Why, why should I care about the environment? You know, it's some way off in the future. Why is this important for my business now?
1: Yeah, if you think about anything you purchase for your business and the first cost that goes into it, um, that is just the first cost, right? Then there's costs that go beyond this. It's operationalizing and it, it's maintaining it. And then thinking about, you know, those spaces from an architectural standpoint that we work and play in. We spend 93% of our time indoors. We'd rather spend that time inside high-performing spaces that are better aligned with being more sustainable, that have better indoor air quality, that help us function better within those spaces, make better decisions, so that when we purchase those things or acquire something for our business, we also think about the environmental impacts that we can avoid by purchasing more sustainable products or systems. And then at the same time, the social impacts around that by leveraging value chains around the world that are more sustainable and don't contribute to global problems.
0: Well, uh, yeah, I like this in chapter 1, you talked about uh, uh, Paul Hawken point out somewhere along the way to free market capitalism, the United States became the most wasteful society on the planet. Uh, what do we waste and uh what do you talk about in this book? What are we what are we doing wrong?
1: Oh, um to be, you know, really terse with this, <laughs> like are going into a whole bunch of things that we do wrong, but when we start looking at The systems in which we interact with, you know, when we look at combustion engine vehicles and people put gasoline in their cars, we're wasting eighty-one percent of every gallon of gasoline in a combustion engine vehicle that just goes to heat and friction. Only about nineteen to twenty-one percent goes towards movement of the vehicle, maybe five percent towards movement of you as a person within that. Transportation systems are changing as we move to e-vehicles. Those vehicles are ninety percent more efficient in terms of energy that goes into them to create movement. They cost ninety percent less. So I'm coming to you today from a net positive in terms of energy creation using yes solar panels in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, of all places, right, where we get a lot of cloudy days. And I can still generate more than I need in the home, offload that to a car and drive that car at 10% of the cost of a combustion engine vehicle. So that's one example of systems that aren't very sustainable because of the waste. The other are food systems. Food travels on average 1,500 miles to get to our plates. We end up throwing away about 40% of it, either along the way or at the end. We don't consume it, and we have to throw it out when it gets fuzzy in the refrigerator after so much time. Our energy systems, actually, with coal-powered energy systems that we've had for almost 150 years in some ways, we're looking at wasting 66% of all energy created within the United States based on those types of legacy systems. We hire hundreds and hundreds of people to be inside large multinational companies. We ask them to be innovative, but yet we give them these systems that are inherently inefficient and very wasteful. And what would you do if you had 100 people you just hired hired in the last year? After 12 months, you came in the room and found out they were only creating hot air and friction, which is mostly what these systems are creating. Even our buildings. Our buildings consume vast amounts of energy, but yet they're typically very wasteful. We can have zero energy or net zero homes and high-performance buildings and spaces that we work and play in and conduct our businesses in as we integrate all these systems together to have a better outcome from this.
0: Uh, well, yeah, so uh, so what is the greatest challenge that you're talking about? We know we're wasting. What's the greatest challenge uh, to do all this? Like when you're talking to business managers um, about sustainability, what's the biggest challenge?
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> challenges are, are varied, you know, as we go from one individual within one company to another. But um, those challenges are typically trying to get in, into the opportunity mindset for this. So looking at the environment and waste and social sustainability is opportunities to co-create value for any enterprise. Now, you know, this isn't someone else's responsibility. It's everyone's opportunity. Sustainability is already part of every business function. And within the book and the chapters for this, we actually walk through the drivers, enablers, and performance metrics that are already available to every business function. Be it accounting, finance, operations management, purchasing, supply chains management. They already have at their fingertips standards and information available to them. To try to rethink this and change the mindset that's been there to say that somehow the environment is in conflict with what businesses want to do in providing products or services. And another, I think, interesting way I try to look at this and what's also outlined in the book and what we do in exercises when I conduct either classes with executive ed or with my MBA students is to pick any four companies located near each other. And then I'll ask my team of MBAs to actually optimize these organizations for performance. If I do that with traditional MBA students, you know they'll look at this as, okay, we'll go in and we will divide and conquer. We'll look at each business separately. We'll optimize them for efficiency. We'll reduce waste. We'll cut costs, 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 and costs. And they'll focus on that one metric. But if instead we start looking at this differently in an integrated approach, we can envision a future where those same teams of MBAs and other decision makers in the future actually optimize performance using a systems approach and industrial ecology and look at how they interact with those other buildings or businesses around them. To look at shared inputs and outputs from enterprises to manage sustainable supply chains between them to meet the needs of a current generation without compromising the needs of future generations. And then they'll find cradle to cradle opportunities in a closed loop or circular economy. We can value natural capital and retrofit existing buildings so that they are high performance buildings that include social costs of capital in our decision making or, sorry, social cost of carbon dioxide in our decision making to actually look at including uncertainty and in long term strategic planning. Then we can report our goals like those United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, how we align with that for performance and even report these measures to outside organizations that want to look at us, especially for a multinational company. And examples of this is a carbon disclosure project or CDP. They want to know how much carbon emissions are coming from every business, we report that to stakeholders. Those stakeholders want to look at global reporting initiatives that come out of multinational companies that tell us what those companies are doing in terms of their environmental, social, and governance performance metrics to see if they're better than others within their industry. And what we don't want to have happen, right, as a company is to say that we're the bad ones or we're the laggards. Instead, you want to be one of the most innovative out-in-front companies doing this. And by looking at integration opportunities, we can find that possibility for strategic value proposition that was different than what we had in the past with business as usual.
0: Well, wow, that sounds like, yeah, uh, this is like a great opportunity for for urban designers too, to work with uh, the MBAs and uh, thinking about, we talk about like, you know, our landscape architects and how, you know, integrating environments um, all the way around for people and business.
1: Yeah, there's so much happening right now with transportation that is connecting these spaces. You know, if we look at all the spaces that are put into cities right now, just for parking, as we move away from vehicles that um, everyone has and all the parking spaces that have to go downtown. We're going to create more urban spaces that are green spaces and actually have autonomous vehicles in the in the future that can actually pick us up. Like Starbucks could own a, a minivan that picks you up and takes you to work. You can have a coffee on the way in. It'll cost 90% less for you to go about 40 miles, let's say, for an average commute. And you can actually get something done while drinking a coffee on your way in and have it cost 90% less than it did if you would have owned the vehicle and tried to drive in yourself and do with the hassles of road rage and everything else in that transportation system. And then when you get to these buildings, we can work in high performance buildings that are better connected. And then those people that work in not only building and planning those urban environments can also look at how those urban environments give back to the environment. We can have buildings that are living buildings that create more energy than they consume and actually capture more water than they need in a year. So living buildings can be part of this infrastructure connected, you know, systems for transportation, people now working at home after the pandemic. You know, we don't need buildings as much as we had in the past. When we work at home and do this and things change, why not work in healthy environments in our homes, have high-performance buildings be part of this, and better integration of our performance that makes us more productive and provide value to any company we work with, whether it's a manufacturer or a service provider.
0: Oh, well, I tell you, I'd, I'd love to have uh, less stress uh, driving into work. Uh, that that <laughs> in itself is a great health benefit right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who wouldn't um so okay is there a trade-off to being sustainable uh does it cost more does it not well uh, what did you find in this book
1: yeah so the book is based on you know 10 years worth of research and my own interviews of global heads of sustainability from fortune 100 companies s&p you know 100 those types of companies then also live consulting projects that i do with my students and we've done about a uh, of 200 of them to date no two projects have been the same And when we um, try to look at this in terms of the trade-offs, it doesn't cost more because of those wasteful systems I've talked about before in terms of transportation, food systems, energy systems, and buildings. We can actually see that an integrated approach allows us to uncover a different value proposition. There are risks when doing this right. People are going to be concerned, oh, I haven't done this before. But I also mentioned that there are standards already available to help guide managers from any company through this. If they want to go to resources like SASB, the Sustainable Accounting Standards Board, SASB, and look at their materiality maps it already direct managers and decision makers to resources to say, these are the most important things you should be looking at. And these are what are considered then material to ensuring you have better decision making, better allocation of resources, and can have better outputs from those allocations as we move into a, a space of better integrated decision making that helps us first design, and think about how we operationalize sustainability. And we can do this for any organization. We don't have to have one standard definition of this that meets everyone's needs. That was done in 1987 by the Brundtland Commission, and it's meeting the needs of a current generation without compromising the, the needs of future generations, right? So that was the United Nations work that came out of that. It's nice in that it's generalizable, but then it's also difficult to operationalize. So within the book, we walk through getting away from the trade-off perspective and instead seeing the opportunity perspective and that anyone can define and operationalize this as part of an integrated management statement. And when they do this, they can actually then better figure out how this fits for their own organization. I have my students do this, right? So for an MBA program, it starts with a vision statement that works into more of an integrated bottom line approach for those ES&G performance metrics. So they start with, our vision of sustainable performance includes researching and developing business opportunities that are economically, environmentally, and socially beneficial. So that's their vision statement. When they look at not going for trade-offs, but instead opportunities, the program's economic success will depend on brand strength, community perspective, and return on investment. From an environmental perspective, responsibilities include resource conservation, reduction of supply chain impacts, collaboration with communities, Recycling, closed-loop systems, and the pursuit of energy efficiency and renewable energy sources. And finally, our social responsibilities include action learning, working with corporations in the business case for sustainability, respect for stakeholders, systems thinking across disciplines, and an ethical approach to decision-making in general. And this is how they operationalize this. And again, nothing involving trade-offs and costs is their focus, but instead a vision of a different future. So within the book, we walk through a five-level framework of understanding where any enterprise is in terms of systems, how they define success, what is strategic, the list of actions that can be generated from this, and then tools that we already have to help us make better decisions and to prioritize our actions. Everything in the book is helping the reader with an action plan that they can develop themselves and end of chapter questions about that in terms of what's your intent, what's your enterprise integration. And it's evidence-based, so it's based on existing practices And best-in-practice companies, it's about value creation and how to actually reduce waste, reduce cost, increase social sustainability, increase our value proposition without decreasing and having negative impacts on the environment. This is value creation. This is aligning business practices with a more sustainable future and the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals.
0: Yeah, this is a great how-to book. It's very thick. It's uh, lots of of good resources in here too. Now, you're talking, it made me kind of think, uh, can you, uh, well, I guess anonymously and confidentially, uh, can you tell us about a case study uh, from your students that they did? Uh, how did it affect, did they implement these in the business and how did it, what was the final result or maybe um, a, a real life case study where a, a company took this information and uh, implemented it? Did you have any results from your research about uh, the outcomes? Did they actually do it? Did it help? What happened?
1: Yeah, that's the great thing about being able to work with the intersection of enterprises and an MBA program, in that we can conduct scholarly research. We can actually not just talk about theory, but actually look at what was being applied. So our students have done almost 200 projects to date. No two projects have been the same. And typically within any project, we will look at how we can apply the social cost of carbon dioxide to say for that investment, we are going to have a better impact than just a cost perspective. We'll look at impacts the environment avoided and social value created from this. Um, One thing we were looking at high performance buildings. So we looked at a building that was, I think, representative of over 4 million buildings in the United States, over 50 years old um, within a corporate setting. So office space, mostly but shared use spaces. And then we looked at how we would make this a low energy building, a sustainability plan for it. And for every dollar invested in the building, what would be the return on that with environmental impacts avoided and the social performance to this. Because the other thing we're finding about this, especially with um, human health and productivity, is that for green projects or high performance or sustainability projects, however we label them, the financials are already pretty good. So we can get good paybacks on just the cost perspective. When we include the environmental impacts avoided, that ROI gets that much better. We can take a five-year payback on something if it was um, out there to maybe three and a half years. And if we look at the human health and productivity impacts They're 10 times better than just the first cost. So then we can take that five year payback on something. If you're going to be in a building for 50 years, it was already good to begin with. But then look at that being 10 times better for human health and productivity within those spaces. And all of a sudden we can bring that five year payback down to around four months. And that really gets people's attention in terms of return on integration or integrated rate of return and how we incorporate social cost of carbon dioxide within decision making and resource allocation. So we've done all kinds of projects with multinational companies, even looking at you know, impacts of climate change and changes in sea level and the location of the manufacturing facilities around the world. We've done net zero living buildings. We've now done passive house buildings with some large communications and telecommunic- communications company. Uh, we were even invited into Congress to present some of our results from our project in January of this year, but it was a fall project from last year looking at the impacts of putting a cost on carbon dioxide for the state of Pennsylvania. And what we found is that when we do these things, we uncover waste that we haven't found in programs or systems before. And at the state level, most people would actually, it's, um, what we're looking at is not a cap and trade program, but instead a carbon tax and redistribution program. So there'd be a fee to pay for carbon dioxide that comes out of all of our businesses and even our homes. And each year, everybody in Pennsylvania would get money back from that. And eventually that would go away as we reduce carbon emissions to zero. The whole program would go away. It's a revenue neutral program. People in Pennsylvania would on average get a leave it was between $165 to $500 per family. It would generate more jobs than it would <clears throat> take away. And we would actually look at a different future at the state level that could be replicated around all of the states. So in January, we were invited into Congress to present our results to congressional representatives and also to use that information to help industry better understand how we can manage this waste, put a price on it, avoid it in the future and have a better outcome overall that creates more value.
0: Oh, wow. And you got to go to Congress and uh, the students and uh, testify and and explain all their research.
1: Yeah, it was fantastic. It's one of those things where, you know, you can go to any MBA program and sit in a chalk and talk lecture for two years, or you can come to a program like ours and do live consulting projects like this, have an opportunity to go and consult, And actually present your results to the C-suite, typically within the companies we're working with, or in this case, go to DC and have somebody else help pay for our trip to get there, to present these results to them, to have information out in the world that says we can look at it differently and think about a more integrated value proposition in the future and have decision makers being those MBAs and those (coughs) capitalists in the future, right, to have a different perspective on how every dollar they spend could have a different return on its value.
0: Well, that kind of goes into design. I got chapter six here. It's design thinking life cycle assessment. It says a designer is an emerging synthesis of artist, innovator, mechanic, objective economist, and evolutionary strategist Hmm. by, is it book, Mr. Fuller? Did I say that right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I love design thinking. It's part of our orientation um, into the MBA program and a different way to think about the world and how we design spaces how we design products and how we design services that can not only be more efficient, right, but more effective. And when we think about the word effective, that's where we can better integrate sustainability in terms of environmental impacts avoided, social value created, and a value proposition that's different. And if we are not you know, putting ourselves into the design thinker mentality, we really should be. We need all of us to come up with ideas on how to innovate and become better, less wasteful and more effect- effective. Design thinking is a purposeful way to do this. It's also then scaled to systems thinking and how your product or your service then is part of other larger systems and how those systems are within systems and larger economic systems on top of that. And these are the types of things that we like doing in terms of just this last week, I kind of hit the pause button on some stuff with the students in the MBA program and just had an idea cafe to think about how do we design a a post COVID-19 future? What things have gone away right now that we'd want to stay away from and what things would we want to bring back in a more integrated approach that we could design better in the future so that when we come out of this pandemic, we're more resilient for the next thing that might shock our system.
0: Yeah, because I mean, human beings, it's kind of funny in in a sense this whole COVID thing because it's like, it's really nothing new. Uh, Human beings have been through pandemics throughout history. Are we going to figure this out?
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's an opportunity to build back better, not to go back to business as usual. And the whole point of this in your early question about what motivated me to do this was to have a better future in people's minds and have a vision that when we know that that vision is out there, think about the decisions we make every day and whether or not that decision steps us toward that same vision that we have of a better future or if it pulls us backward in time. You know, if we're still using 150-year-old legacy systems, and we're only doing it because we think it's low cost, but we don't include all the other costs, like the you know, costs on the environment or the social value that it's taking away. And We're really missing the opportunity to create a more resilient future and to get through the next round of whatever this may be. It won't be called COVID next time. It'll be called something else. But whatever that is, we'll be ready for it.
0: Yeah. And and, and to not, to, oh, you know, the famous saying, you know, we didn't plan to fail. We failed to plan.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Planning is everything. and. <laughs> If only we had enough time to think about it, right? Typically, we're caught up in the day-to-day fires. We're caught up in everything else that's inundating us um, with messaging all around us and social media and whatever. And we don't typically hit the pause button and just reflect on planning for something else. And we don't have to have the answer of what it is exactly, but instead have a process and resilient systems in place that help us enable decision makers and thinkers to pull apart complex, large problems into manageable pieces and to make our way through those pieces in a systematic way.
0: Yeah. You know, um, it's like, you know, just, uh, just plan and, and be ready. You know, history doesn't repeat it rhymes and, and, uh, and start doing things now. But, you know, I think during the pandemic too, I, uh, I started trying to take back my own time and schedule my own time better and not just let, uh, and let life just run away from me too. Get a little philosophical now.
1: No, you're good. We all need more of this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we to talk about I'm... this a bit more.
1: I remember um, one project manager we were dealing with in a large multinational company, one of our projects said, hope is not a plan. (laughs) So the other thing, you know, to build on top of your earlier comments. And if we have some time for this, you know, we don't say that we hope something will happen. We instead can think about whenever that word comes up, switch and put into it. We have a plan for something when it happens. And we've done that because we've gone through processes like this. We've had brainstorming activities. We've thought about, what our definition of success is, how it's strategic, and how we're going to take actions and prioritize actions, even though those actions might change from one quarter to the next year to whatever it might be. So we can be resilient. I think we're too caught up in the mindset of, you know, do we work to live or do we live to work? We tend to live to work too often and instead need to pull back from these systems and better understand how interrelated we are to each other, how we can make everything Better and sustainability is that opportunity within my mind, and how I again want to put this out to people as a an opportunity statement and not a problem statement.
0: Oh yeah, I like that. That's a, <clears throat> excuse me. That's a different way of a, a different approach that uh, that I think can work better. Um, you have also design thinking methodology. What is a design thinking methodology?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, ideation is part of design thinking, right? So I, ideation is basically brainstorming to begin with. But usually taking this now and turning it to a customer's perspective. And from that customer's perspective, how do we ideate around things in in terms of even giving you an opportunity to then come out of this process of design thinking with a prototype for something? And it can be a conceptual prototype. You don't have to have a physical 3D printer for this. But if we're going to redesign our own products, if we're a manufacturer or our own services, if we're a service provider, stepping through the ideation process is about five steps involved in it typically we do this in a coordinated format within the room and then we break out and have people look at this and almost compete against each other for coming up with ideas no ideas are bad ideas right but instead we look at creative opportunities to look at change and step someone through the process of from the customer's perspective how would they want to design this instead of how would you design it if you were the manufacturer and too often, we have a disconnect between the two. And if we're only focused on low cost to begin with from the manufacturing perspective, then we lose out on that opportunity to understand how we truly meet the customer's needs, have a different value proposition and become an order winner in the future and not an order loser if we didn't have the right combination of attributes that the customer is really looking for. And no matter what, we are seeing sustainability as one of those attributes.
0: Oh, yeah. and. Uh... It kind of goes along with my, my next question. And um, I, uh, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I think I've I majored in so many things here in college. I, I did a little bit of business, a little bit of landscape architecture, a little bit of psychology, the whole thing. And um, I like this, you know, inter, enterprise systems, operational and strategic assessment, Chapter 7. Yeah, We can't impose our will on a system. We can't listen to what the system tells us. And discover how its properties and our values can work together to bring forth something much better than we could have ever produced by our will alone. By Danello Meadows?
1: Yeah, by Meadows. So it's part of systems thinking and systems dynamics. But enterprise resource planning systems or ERP systems in the past, when we switched over into the millennium, right? If you think back to 2000, everyone was worried about systems crashing and all this stuff because of some prior programming that went into it. But at that same time, we we're also looking at a big integrated systems movement that was taking place for manufacturing. So we wouldn't have just a manufacturing planning system that would only include purchasing and manufacturing and running things on the floor, but it started to morph into MRP2 systems, materials requirement planning to then would include accounting systems. then these ERP systems or enterprise resource planning systems that then morphed into the whole enterprise is tied into these systems. And then there are modules for these that it can actually <clears throat> and tack on information about the environment, carbon dioxide or emissions and things like this. Now we've even seen this morph into sustainable operating systems. So some of my work in the past was on environmental management systems and I still continue that. And then into sustainable operating systems, we can now create dashboards for buildings and people and occupants within those buildings see our real-time energy consumption, CO2 emissions, water consumption. We can do the same thing on manufacturing floors, when we look at this uh, i've got a colleague who's working with unilever on some projects in their dashboards across 400 different manufacturing locations to then tie together learning and information with systems so that we we build on that chapter six perspective of design thinking and better integrate systems information so we can use artificial intelligence big data and analytics to help us overcome problems when they arise or as our you know a couple of prior points were about to better plan for things in the future So we know when something is out of whack, how we can then get it back under control.
0: Oh, yeah. And and, uh, just uh, systems thinking with everyone. I'm going to keep going here, uh, travel (laughs) through the book. Uh, uh, Number eight, this is, I like your little quotes here on these little chapters. These are nice. I'm going to do this one. Um, A useful rule of thumb. If you can't communicate the vision to someone in five minutes or less and get a reaction that signifies both understanding and interest, you are not yet done. So by John Cotter,
1: give me five minutes here (laughs) in less than five minutes. So that was part of the vision for the book. Right. And, but what I want my students and anyone who is involved with this to think about is to have a vision of how your product, your service is going to be better in the future and then how you define better, better than should relate to successful criteria for your business. They're aligned with your strategy and they move you in a direction toward alignment with those United nations, sustainable development goals and not into the space of still creating waste that isn't valued in some way because waste for you might become an input for someone else and if we have better integrated systems we can actually look at how those things interrelate and come together so in chapter eight we're really then trying to move that into it's strategic in chapter six we're talking about design chapter seven strategy chapter eight we're tying it together in systems because systems are great enablers of everything and One of the smallest systems we have available to us today that could probably put us on the moon back then is our smartphones. So I'm looking at a phone I can hold in my hand and the amount of technology and everything that goes into that, I can now tie that into my business. And also have it send me or flag things when it's out of whack, when something's wrong with the manufacturing process. It's not only a communication tool, it can also be a decision analysis tool. And these systems are what enable us to then come together with better knowledge from the past to then use that knowledge for decision-making to minimize waste, to increase social value created and have a better integrated approach to this. So, you know, thanks for pulling out that information from chapter six, seven, and eight. They're really important for tying all this together, especially with all the computing power we have available to us today.
0: Okay, hey, let's keep going. What about, uh, what, I'm going to go to chapter nine, crossing the chasm, evidence and opportunity. A little quote here. I'll give you a break from talking a second. Let me me (laughs) say this to the audience. Uh, Today, uh, there is a growing community of more than 2,500 certified B Corps from 50 countries and over 150 industries working together toward one unifying goal to redefine success in business. And they have all signed a declaration of interdependence. Uh, So is it working? This whole B Corp thing?
1: Yeah, B Corps are a little bit more recent phenomenon, but they were incorporated in Delaware, just like where most corporate law takes place. So benefits corporations and B Corps are different, but it's a different approach. This benefit corporations are, I believe, legal entities, and I'm going to maybe get the number of states wrong now, but 29 states have already passed laws where you can have a benefits corporation within that state's location. So benefit corporations are not a like a multinational company, or, and they're also not a 501c3, they're not a, a you know, not-for-profit. Instead, there's something in between that said that we still create products and provide services, but we don't do this as a fiduciary responsibility to only our shareholders. We instead create value and we report on environmental impacts and social value created on an annual basis. So it's all automatically integrated into their report. And we also see a lot more taking place in this space because of B Corps and others, that there are now integrated reporting opportunities where multinational corporations do their sustainability report and their financial report combined. So the integrated reporting movement was part of the crux behind this and the work of um, Bob Eccles at Harvard, and others in this space and the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board that was also pushing for this. That helps us understand that there's an integrated opportunity out there and B Corps are some of those that are taking advantage of it. In Pittsburgh right now, I think we have less than maybe 12 of them. But if you think about large multinational companies that have been out there that are also B Corps, they're popping up all the time. We're also seeing, you know, like Patagonia doing something like this. Um, we're also looking at integrated reporting taking place by Southwest Airlines and others. So there's a number of companies, Ben and Jerry's, have done this in the past that have become benefit corporations. And it's just growing. So there's more and more of them each year. And it's a new way to have businesses and business leaders stand up and say, we are not beholden to shareholders. We instead create a value proposition for community. And that was part of the original intent of a fiduciary responsibility to create value. And that was for communities, not just for shareholders.
0: Uh, Well, that leads me to a great question. Okay, devil's advocate. Okay, I'm skeptical. Uh, (laughs) What are the risks? (laughs) I'm a skeptic here. So what are these risks? And uh, has has somebody else done this before I jump into it?
1: Yeah. So the nice thing is, right, I'm not talking about theory. Everything in the book in integrated management is about an evidence-based approach to problem solving. There are already guidelines for this. And I mentioned the Global Responsible Reporting Initiative, GRI. I mentioned SASB, the Sustainable Accounting Standards Board, the International Organization of Standards, or ISO. I know the acronym is out of order from what the, the structure of the words are. And the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals all help with a focus on an opportunity to tell a different story about how you create value. Standards for how to measure this, drivers, enablers, and performance metrics that help anyone be able to pull this off. So the point of the book is an action learning approach with end of chapter questions about what's your intent to look at what's your integrated enterprise able to do. And then through your own benchmarking of others within industry or comparisons of your company to their company, your research and application, And even your job, whatever that might be within a functional discipline, can tell you how you can already do this based on best practices that multinational companies have been doing. So first, you know, to help anyone do this, we look at an integrated management strategy statement like that one I read from my students in our program that they developed. We look at that five-level framework of systems, success, strategy, actions, and tools. We have an action plan that steps you through this chapter by chapter. It's about value creation and it's about aligning business practices with a more sustainable future and companies that have been good at doing this and been recognized they are international or global, I should say, top rankings for companies, some of them that have been ranked before by Forbes, right? So again, not coming from a sustainability side of this, but from a business practice side of it with Forbes are Siemens. Um, so they're in Germany store brand, which is in Norway, uh, Dansk bank, which is in Denmark. The IMG Group and the Netherlands. If you notice, there's a theme to this, right? These are some of the top ranked companies, and I've all been talking about EU based companies. They tend to be leading the way on this and they have been for a longer time. One of the top ranked ones from the United States is Cisco Systems. Another one that comes into play is Johnson & Johnson. Unilever usually gets lots of good traction in these types of rankings. So L'Oreal has also been looked at, but they're from France, um, Centrica from the UK, from Canada, maybe. Enbridge Inc., these companies have been out there doing this for some time. So, for almost two decades now, there's been rankings for sustainability. And we can learn from these companies' best practices so that you do not have to reinvent the wheel. Hopefully, that takes out some of the skepticism. It's not about hugging trees, it's instead about understanding what real risk your companies are up against if they are not valuing these things. And knowing that it has been done for, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And there are practices and processes that will get you to that vision wherever you are now.
0: Yeah, so uh, if you're not on this bandwagon already, you're almost a little bit behind.
1: Yeah, that's the innovators, early adopters, the ones that have been doing this for a while now. The uh, late majority laggards are where you don't wanna be. And if you keep saying, we're only gonna be within minimum compliance of laws, you're pushing the, the risk boundary of where you're gonna fall out of compliance possibly and have legal issues to deal with, but then also you're gonna be caught by your customers. You know, their smartphones are pretty quick in terms of finding problems with your products or when you make someone sick or something goes wrong. And then within seconds, putting that out on social media platforms for you to then have to react to that and saying that, well, we weren't really well prepared for this and have a public relations issue.
0: Uh, yes, and being uh, more proactive. Uh, so uh, here's a good question. So uh, you're, you're creating value for an enterprise. Uh, can you tell me what is the value? How sustainably creates value? What's the value?
1: Yeah. So, the value in the past, if you want to look at this, and some economists will talk about cost, 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 right? The myopic focus is always on cost. But instead, if I go back to that example I had before in buildings, we know that there already does well on cost, the first bottom line. The second bottom line is environmental impacts avoided. A third bottom line is then social value created. So, people are healthier and happier. Um, They're more productive when they're dealing with high performance spaces. If we go back to that architectural space, Um, versus a non-performing space, which might be really old and really dungy, and hopefully things will get away from after the pandemic. But if we want to look at that first bottom line in ROI is typically how we measure that. Instead, if we include environmental, social, and governance information, it's a return on integration. And then that integrated rate of return then tells us, okay, we've included not just cost, but then environmental impacts avoided, social value created statement I made earlier, the social value created or the human health and productivity impacts are 10 times greater than the first bottom line of just costs. So when we do this and what we've done in some of our consulting projects, and what students have even looked into in buildings, sometimes this is a little bit easier because we can measure utilities and know our energy consumption, natural gas consumption, where it comes from in the grid, amount of emissions from this. But they also can show us that we can get to a net zero building by investing in it and then also show a payback that building is actually going to give back more to the environment and to us as people when we work and learn within that environment than it would otherwise if we left it as an older building. And part of the book also has a compendium of resources in the back of this that helps step you through these types of opportunities to recognize this. And the way in which we tend to do it, which is a little bit easier, is through the social cost of carbon dioxide and pegging that to then emissions from either products, buildings, or processes.
0: Oh, well, you know, that. Uh, this is normally my first question. I just realized I forgot it. So uh, where do you work? Uh, tell me about yourself. Where do you, where, where's your MBA program at to do all this?
1: Yeah, I am in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at Duquesne University. It's um, a little bit different than what it looks like when you spell it. So D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. We are one of the top ranked MBA and sustainability programs since 2008. So we've been at this for some time now. Um, no two projects have been the same. When we do our live consulting work, it's actually part of the core required curriculum for our students. So every semester, they'll be in different teams, they're working with different clients on projects. No two projects have been the same. If there's a company out there that needs help. They can always reach out for me or to me with questions about integrated management. If they need a team of MBAs to work on something, we'd also entertain and look forward to creating some type of scope of work around that, and within a semester engagement, trying to come up with. What would be the critical success criteria for your company around this project and how would we get to that? We do this on a a weekly basis with updates with our clients from our teams. We present the information in mid-project updates. Final deliverables are written reports and presentations to our clients that they get to keep and invite other stakeholders to the table too. So when our students provide these resources, they're typically presenting to C-suite people and companies that we work with. And then others that are invited to the table for those end results. We work with cities, NGOs, small, and medium enterprises, multinational companies, and we do this on a year round basis. So, in that capacity, I'm a globally recognized scholar on sustainability. I hold the Marin Chair of Global Competitiveness within this MBA sustainability program that was purposely developed to have an integrated curriculum. It's 12 months long, it involves international study abroad and live consulting projects as core or sorry, core acquired parts of their experience. And what I wanna say is this is experiential learning. This isn't a chalk and talk two year long MBA program. It's 12 months, it's hands on. And I love working with students and clients to face problems that we haven't even thought about. So this is how I am a very fortunate individual (laughs) and very grateful that I'm in academics because I get to work with brilliant young people coming up through our programs. And then I also get to work with really innovative people in industry that have real problems. And I can help at that intersection to create new trajectories for businesses and enterprises in the future to be more integrated and allow a a different kind of conversation to take place when we come together instead of someone telling us war stories about what they've done in the past in a business and how they made decisions, to go into an opportunity to think about the future and how it could be different and how we could all co-create that future in some meaningful way.
0: Oh yeah, I'm sold.
1: Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we would welcome you. We have people of all different, you know, walks of life in our program, and it is absolutely fun. I, I amazingly never thought I would be a, a teacher because my dad was one <laughs> for 33 years, and yet here I am in a faculty member in academics, and I can't imagine doing anything else.
0: And 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 all of us are the better for it. Um, Um, Well, Robert, thank you so much for coming on the show uh, once again. It's a pleasure having you here. Uh, Can you tell the audience, uh, what are you working on now?
1: Yeah, well, thank you, Tricia, for this and the New Books Network also for the opportunity to be back on. Oh, things that I'm working on now. Um, I think I'm moving more into the social sustainability space and also high performance building space with some of my current work and the focus I've moved some of my projects to for this year. Um, I'm working with some research fellows on those two primary opportunities. I've got projects going in about six different countries right now that still span sustainable operating systems, integrated management, and some sustainable supply chains. So I tend to be broad with my interests, but my focus, I think, coming up in this next year probably going to be more in the high-performance building space and integration of performance metrics within that. So if anybody also wants to try to keep up with um some of what i'm doing you can also follow me on social media platforms like twitter facebook um instagram and so on and i love challenges and new opportunities to engage with others so if anyone listening to this wants to reach out to me and better figure out how we can co-create something ourselves i would love to hear from you and what we can do better
0: oh that's a perfect note to end on will again uh Robert, uh, thank you for being here today. And I want to let our guests know that the book is Integrated Management Book, published by Emerald Press in 2018. And the author is Robert Schroff. Did I say that right?
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you so much. And uh, again, this is Tricia Kaffer from sunny Key Largo, Florida, your host for New Books and Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. If you have any ideas for books, please send me an email at plantspeoplelove at gmail.com. And thank you for listening today.